from Mark 2. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. The word of the Lord. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let us go to our God in prayer. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Some people are so judgmental. And I can tell just by looking. I mean, look at that guy over there. <laughs> We're going to encounter some people today who had that kind of spirit as they watched Jesus and his disciples. They had critical eyes and they were fault finders. We're going to meet them in just a moment. But before we meet them, I want to set up what we will be doing in the sermon today. I want to talk a little bit about the Lord of the Sabbath. Not the Sabbath in and of itself, but the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who he gives us rest, and I'll define rest in two ways. One is rest in terms of refreshment, and the other is rest in terms of restoration. When I was in junior high school, I had a coach who was pretty tough on us, and anytime he wanted to discipline us, I mean, this is back in the day when discipline was real and corporal, and he would bring us into his office, sort of behind closed doors. We didn't think about the legalities of all of this because we, we were terrified of this man. But he would bring us into his office, and if the punishment was very serious, he would pull out this wooden paddle that seemed like a sword in his hand. And it was painted red on one side, white on the other, and then it had red and white letters. And one side said spirit, the other side said power, and he would hold it out in front of us and say... Do you want spirit or do you want power? <laughs> and I got to tell you, I had a little bit of both and it felt the same. It was six of one, half a dozen of the other. If I were to ask you and press you today as you look at your own life and 
get you to explore your own heart and ask you if you had to choose between refreshment or restoration, which one would you choose if you only had to choose one? I know that we need both of those things. I know we need both restoration and refreshment. It's all a part of the rest that Jesus the King offers us. But if you had to choose one just between you and the Lord, which one would it be? A study on WebMD shows that Americans are at risk in many different ways. And we're at risk due to, according to this study, due to a lack of sleep. The lack of sleep leads to fatigue. And the fatigue causes us to work in different ways. Maybe not as productive as we would like to be or could be. The fatigue is brought on in our lives by things like advances in technology that allows us to extend our days deep into the night. Fatigue is brought on by these kinds of things because it alters the rhythm of our lives. And so due to these longer days, we have shorter nights and the lack of rest that comes to us, the lack of rest that comes to us through that extension of the day and through the tyranny of that work that is imposed upon us or that we impose upon ourselves has led us to a wide range of problems. Tied into that comes such things as the eating of the wrong kinds of food just to kind of keep us going. So you combine the lack of rest with junk food and then the emotional stress that comes with all of that and then you get into physiological problems. And we can see that the lack of rest in our culture, the lack of rest in our families and in our life has, lead, has led to a lot of problems. If we were to go around the room today, I think we would find that many of us are always on and never off. Can you relate to that? You feel like you're always on, you're never off. Even when you're off inside, you're on and you're running. I want you to meet someone today in our story, someone you've met many times, but meet him in a fresh way. Meet Jesus the King. The King who comes not as a malevolent taskmaster who is demanding more and more and more from you, but as a benevolent King, a benevolent Lord who comes to give you gifts. And one of those gifts is the gift of rest. So unlike the pharaohs that have popped up on the scene that require you to work harder and harder and to even work with lack of resources and still demanding the same quotas, this king comes to give you rest and to say, you don't have to work so hard. In fact, there are times when you don't have to work at all. And so maybe in meeting Jesus in the story today, we will learn that Jesus the king is the Lord of Sabbath. He is the Lord of of rest. Now, if you're like me, you might think of the word Sabbath and find that to be a very strange word. I've thought back over the course of my life, and I went to, you know, maybe it's the incorrect memory, but the first time I can remember really thinking about Sabbath, and I thought about Sabbath, and I always related it to a heavy metal band and a song called Iron Man. That's the way I thought about Sabbath for a long time. And I don't know why it was black, but it was there. And then I learned something about blue laws. I couldn't get a haircut on a certain day of the week because we had blue laws in the state of Texas. I guess it was a way of sort of legalizing an alternative Sabbath, and all those things have gone away. 
learned a little bit later that Sabbath had something to do with the Jewish people and the law of God in the Old Testament, but not really sure what it had to do with us. And then I was, in my former tradition, taught things like, this is the Lord's Day, and we're going to work on the Lord's Day. And we did. We worked hard on the Lord's Day for a lot of different reasons. But none of those things made me think of Sabbath as a rest or made me think of Sabbath as a gift. And yet here in the story, we have two stories, in fact, in which we find people walking with Jesus and taking advantage of the gifts that he offers. The story of Jesus, the Lord of the rest, offering us refreshment and restoration. Look in the passage here, Mark 2, 23 to 28. This is the first story we'll explore just a little bit. What do we have happening here? We have Jesus and his disciples walking through a grain field. This is man time with Jesus. They're on the go. And as they're moving from one place to another, we learn that these guys are just sort of snacking along the way. Matthew tells us in his gospel that they were plucking heads of grain because they were hungry, which is why most of us eat when we eat, is because we're hungry. But in this story, we discover that there are some men called Pharisees. Pharisees. And the Pharisees are like the super religious people of the day. They're always making sure that everyone is doing what they consider to be the right thing. So they're sort of like the religious police. Think of them that way. And I want to apply something that's often said of the Puritans to the Pharisees. And if you want to know what a Pharisee is, well, the Pharisee is someone who is concerned that someone somewhere might be having a good time. Someone somewhere that might be breaking a tradition. And so they're on the go. They're always on the outlook. And you'll notice in this text, we're going to contrast the way the Pharisees looked at Jesus and his disciples with critical eyes. And then later we're going to see the way Jesus looked at them with not so critical eyes, but with angry eyes. He had his angry eyes on when he looked at the Pharisees. But what's happening in this story? You've got the disciples who are hungry, plucking heads of grain, and the Pharisees, who were very concerned about keeping the law of God, were so concerned about keeping the law of God that they established 39 other rules to help you keep the law of God. Does that make sense? They were so concerned that someone might break, break the law of God that they established 39 prohibitions. Now, I'm not going to read those to you, and you're welcome for that. But 39 prohibitions, and notice that they're so concerned about what you can't do on the Sabbath. They wanted to make everyone, uh, make it very clear what you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. And yet here, you've got, you've got the disciples plucking. The Pharisees consider that harvesting. A few years ago, I was working at a seminary, and there were seminary students getting ready for licensure and ordination in our denomination, and they were very concerned about the Sabbath and what our presbytery might think about their views of the Sabbath. And one student came to me, and he was working through this passage and said, what do you make of this? And I said, I don't know. It looks like the disciples and Jesus went out for fast food one day. Now, I meant that as a joke. And I was just in passing in the library, sipping coffee, and this student took it as a truth. And someone handed me a recording of a sermon he preached in chapel, quoting me on that. 
I myself was preparing for licensure and ordination, and I thought, oh no, I can't have this on the record. Very scary what you say in, in these places. But what's happening here? Jesus pushes back against the Pharisees, and he's trying to show that his disciples are not, in fact, violating the Sabbath. They are doing what God's Sabbath laws allow them to do. They are seeking refreshment in their time of need. And they are seeking refreshment not only in the plucking of the heads of grain, but also in spending time together, spending time out in the creation that God made the world, and they're enjoying that. And they're spending time with Jesus. And it's a joyful occasion that is spoiled by the criticism of the Pharisees. In order to help the Pharisees understand where he and his disciples are coming from, he refers to a story in the Old Testament. You could find this in 1 Samuel 21. But in that story, we have the picture of King David who is on the run from Saul. David is not yet king. He's been anointed king. But King Saul is pursuing David and his men. And he wants to hunt him down and kill him. He's making life miserable for David. And David is fleeing for his life and shows up in a place at the house of God. And he asks the priest to give him bread. My men and I are hungry. Give us bread. Any bread you have here. Any food. And the priest's initial response is, I can't do that because this bread belongs to the priests. This is the bread that's been sanctified, set apart for the priests only. I can't give it to you, David. And David's like, yeah, but we're hungry. And so they get into a discussion about what can and can't be done. And then ultimately what you see in the story is that you have two laws in place. You have the law that the bread has been set apart for the priest only. It's the bread of presence that represents Israel to God. Twelve loaves of flat round bread, delicious bread that would feed the hungry and the needy. But the law says it belongs to the priest. And the priest is a wise priest. And as he thinks through the law, he also realizes that the law of God says things like, love your neighbor as yourself. Show mercy. Give to the needy. Take care of your brother. And so what happens? He applies the deeper law of God that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he gives David and his men the bread. Was it lawful for them to have the bread? Well, it depends. If you look at one part of the Bible, you would say, no, it wasn't lawful. But if you look at the larger story of the Bible, you would say it was absolutely lawful for them to enjoy that bread. And so they took that bread and they were nourished by it and refreshed by it. And it's also the story where David gets Goliath's sword. So you young folks, go and read that. It's pretty interesting. But what I want you to see in this story is that Jesus is defending his disciples by saying they had every right to do this. They had every right to be refreshed by these gifts. Not only the gift of Sabbath, spending time with your brothers and walking with Jesus and enjoying creation but eating the bread of the presence, the bread in the house of God that God offers to those who are hungry and needy. The bread that is really set apart for priests only, but it's the bread that God uses to nourish even you. Jesus wraps up this story by saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Sometimes people get that backwards and they think, well, no, 
they, they think man was made for the Sabbath. But Jesus says, no, the Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift that God gives to men. It's a gift of grace from the Lord to you. Because as we said earlier, Jesus is not a malevolent master who requires more and more work from his slaves and his subjects. He is a benevolent king who gives to his brothers and sisters even the gift of rest. And this gift is what sets us free from the tyranny of work. It sets us free from the tyranny of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It sets us free from the tyranny of our own sins and our unwillingness or inability to manage time and life according to the rhythms of the gospel. More on that in a moment. Look at the second story, restoration. Mark 3, 1-6. Very interesting story from my perspective because Jesus goes into the synagogue and there is a man there with a withered hand. Mark points this out. It would be like saying uh, that any of you went to Rockwell Prez and then we highlight one person in the room who has some kind of some kind of handicap or some kind of weakness or we draw attention to the fact that there is someone who has something that they would rather not everyone else notice. I imagine that the man with the withered hand walked around perhaps keeping his hand uncovered because he didn't want people to notice that all the time. He didn't always want to answer questions about why he was in that condition. The word withered is the kind of word that's used to describe what happens to leaves when they dry up and they shrink. It's the kind of word that's used to describe things that, that shrivel. And so there's a dryness and a, a tightness to this man's hand. And Mark immediately draws attention to the fact that that man was there. But along with this, you have the Pharisees who again are watching Jesus, but they're not learning from Jesus. They're not paying attention to his life because they're curious about him. They want to see what he's going to do. And notice, they suspect that when Jesus sees that man, that he's going to want to help that man. And this really troubles them. They watch to see if he's going to heal that man on the Sabbath day. And the reason Mark gives is so that they might accuse him. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I did look at this, and the word for accuse there is the word from which we get categorize. Categorize. Isn't that what people who are critical do? Isn't that why we judge people? Isn't that why we are fault finders? We're trying to put people in their place, at least in our hearts and minds. We're trying to categorize them. How would Jesus be categorized? Well, he would be categorized here as a lawbreaker, a troublemaker. They're trying to categorize Jesus in some way so they can build a case against him and then bring him down. I suspect that many of us are that way in our own lives. We, we all have a little bit of a Pharisee living inside of our hearts who is constantly trying to pigeonhole and categorize people so that we can sit in judgment over them in some way. We got to put those Pharisees in our hearts to death, don't we? We don't need to go around in life trying to pigeonhole and categorize people so that we might bring them up on charges and then tear them down in our hearts and make ele elevate ourselves above them. Now, this is what the Pharisees are trying to do. And notice what happens in the story. Jesus speaks to the man with the withered hand, but nowhere in the story does it tell us that Jesus looked at the man. He obviously noticed the man, but we learn later that Jesus isn't looking at the man with the withered hand. 
He's looking at the Pharisees. And what you have here is a showdown. They're staring each other down in the synagogue, in the middle of this service. They're watching each other. The Pharisees are watching Jesus. To be critical, Jesus is looking at them because he wants to defend and protect his people and this man with the withered hand. Interesting thing happens here in the story. Jesus speaks to the man. After asking a question, Jesus speaks to the man and tells him to stretch his hand out. Like we do in the children's lesson, there's a bit of an object lesson taking place, only it's live action in the life of the man with the withered hand. There's something about this interaction with the Pharisees that angers Jesus. And Do you know what it is? Did you see what it is? Jesus knows what they're up to. He knows how they're trying to categorize him. He knows their intention. And so he pushes back on them and says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? Is it lawful to harm people or to help them? What do you guys think? And it's an easy answer, right? Everyone who reads this, whether you're a Pharisee or not, you should be able to read it and say, well, the right answer is that it's lawful to do good. It's lawful to show mercy. It's lawful to help others. It would be terrible to hurt people, especially on the Sabbath day. It would be terrible to do evil, especially on the Sabbath day. But the Pharisees refused to answer. Those of you who have been married for more than five minutes know that if you're ever in a, let's say, a, married people don't argue, do they? they? What do they do? They have strong conversations. They, uh, maybe some disagreements. If you're ever in that moment, especially, this is, I found that this is probably more true for men than for women. But guys, you know that if your wife asks you a question and it puts you on the spot and you know that any answer you give will show that you lost. <laughs> the only defense you have, you think it's a defense, is to be quiet. I judge by your nervous laughter that you agree with me on that. But it's the silence that often gets you in trouble, isn't it? You know the right thing to say, but your pride won't let you say it. And that's exactly what's happening with the Pharisees here. The Pharisees don't want to answer. And so what happens? Notice this. I want to highlight this for you because we don't see it often enough. Verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus looked around at them. He's looking at the Pharisees with anger. He's angry. He's upset with these guys. And this isn't just like mildly upset. He's really deeply angry with them. B.B. Warfield in his essay on the emotional life of our Lord talks about part of what drives the anger of Jesus here is the pain he feels deep inside. And many times that's where our anger comes from. It's from some experience of pain in life. And the pain disrupts us, it disturbs us in some way, and it comes out in the form of anger. Jesus is agonizing over the fact that these guys are so hard-hearted and so hard to deal with, and it's the pain of that clash that drives him to anger. He's angry with them, and he's grieved at their hardness of heart. He's grieved at their hardness of heart. He's still staring at them, by the way. He's still looking at them. And he says to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. 
And if you've read the Old Testament long enough and you've paid attention to the language of Scripture, then you'll know that stretch out your hand is an echo of so many other stories in the Bible where God said to someone, stretch out your hand, and then something amazing happens. You see it in the Old Testament in the story of Aaron, the priestly brother of Moses, who is told, stretch out your hand. And he does. He stretches out his hand and the river turns to blood. Frogs come from the dust. Moses is told by God, stretch out your hand. And he does. And the Red Sea parts. Joshua is told, stretch out your hand. And he does. And the sun stands still in the sky. And all of those narratives, all of those stories, foreshadow the day in which God will stretch out His hands at the cross. And water will be turned to blood, and things will be parted open, and the sun will be darkened. Stretch out your hand, and the man with the withered hand stretches out his hand, and his hand is restored. This is restoration. It's the Lord of the Sabbath restoring the hand of a man. And notice, it's not just about restoring his hand. Because now that he has the full use of his hand, guess what he can do? He can work. He can do something more productive. He can create. He can generate life. He can go and help others. He doesn't have to carry the shame and the scorn of having that brokenness in his life anymore. Because the Lord of the Sabbath has restored him. Response of the Pharisees is to go out and immediately hold counsel with their political leaders against Jesus and how they might destroy him. They're not just trying to wreck his reputation. They are trying to utterly ruin the man. Now what does all of that have to do with us? Beautiful stories, but what does it have to do with us? We learn in this that it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's right to love others. It's right to show mercy. We learn that the Lord promises to give us refreshment and restoration that we so desperately need. We see this in the story. We see that much like the man with the withered hand, even our weaknesses and our brokenness, the shame that we carry can be restored by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus. If we were to go around the room and look into the lives of each person, look into our hearts, certainly there are parts of your life that are withered and shrunken, things that you're ashamed of and you hope no one ever notices. And were we to draw attention to it and shine a light on that, it would be very painful to you, very hard for you to bear because you don't want everyone noticing that. But what I want you to see in the story is that it is in coming to the light. It is in coming to the king in all of our shrunkenness and all of our shriveled, broken life. It's coming to the king with our shame that the king, Jesus, is the one who can bring restoration. It's in coming to King Jesus with all of our hungers, not just our physical hungers, but I mean our deep hungers, the cravings of our lives, the things we desperately long for, bringing those to Jesus, coming to Jesus with all of our need that we find refreshment. This is what Jesus the King promises to do for you and for me. This is what he does for us as the Lord of the Sabbath. 
And perhaps you've been hearing the subtext through all of this when we talk about the Lord of the Sabbath doing something for his people. What does it mean? Is it makes him the servant of his kingdom. It makes him the servant of his people. He sees our needs. He sees our brokenness. He sees where we come up short and then he comes and tends to us in that way. Our Lord is the servant. And the servant of the Lord is the King of Kings who promises to give us rest. Well, today is the day that we call the Lord's Sabbath. It is the day that we've gathered for worship. But it is also a day for rest, a day that many of us perhaps neglect to our own destruction, to our own harm. It's a day that many of us don't take as seriously as the Lord Jesus would urge us to. But here are some things that I want you to consider. That as you live in the presence of Jesus the King, as he offers to you refreshment and restoration, don't be like a little toddler drumming your heels on the floor, fighting against him, telling him that you don't need rest, that you have too much to do. Draw near to him and say, yes, I do need rest. I need to be off and not on today. I need a moment to breathe freely. You need to be okay with letting the dishes stack up in your sink, with the beds being unmade. You need to be okay with a little bit of mess around the house today. Even if you have community group, don't worry about it. Everyone else is in the same mess you're in. And speaking of community group, that's a great time to spend on the Lord's Day seeking refreshment and restoration with your brothers and sisters in Christ, gathering together with the people. Another suggestion I would offer to you is, when you have a nice day, go out for a walk in your neighborhood. You might meet a neighbor. You might meet someone who has need, and you could refresh them or restore them. Go to the park with a basket of snacks and enjoy hanging out with your family, sitting in God's creation basking in the sunshine, laying on a blanket. Make sure you find time to do nothing at all. It's the Lord's day. It's a holy waste of time, a holy waste of time that the Lord has given you. Do nothing at all. I dare you. Try it. It's harder than you think. And be sure to take a big fat nap because the week is going to be hard. The grind of it is going to wear you down a little bit more, take a big fat nap. And kids, I know you want to harass your mom and dad all day and show them everything in sight. Give them a break. Let them rest a little bit. And maybe you can rest a little bit yourself. It's in this way that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gives rest to his people. And these are just a few things to think about. And one final thing, as you're doing all this, Try not to make the Sabbath about you. Let's make it about others. How can you refresh someone else? How can you bring restoration to those around you who are in need? And as we do these things, one to another, one for another, I think we'll see this grace of Sabbath rest descend upon us, and we'll find refreshment and restoration in the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the tender mercies of the Lord Jesus. I'm so grateful that you 
sent your Son into the world to be our Savior, to bring us the rest that you promise us, to show us the way, the truth, and the life, to lead us into this refreshment and restoration. I pray even now as we come to this table that we will find these things offered to us in the Lord Jesus Christ.